welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church, Kannapolis, North Carolina. As senior pastor, Dean Hunter shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. Luke chapter 2. If you have your Bible and want to turn there with me, for the last, counting today, four weeks, I've done something I've never done before and preached my sermon titles from Christmas carols. Last week, we decimated We Three Kings and the theological imperfections therewithin. Week before that, talked about the shepherds while they watched their flocks by night. And the first Sunday in December, we looked at Micah's prophecy, 750 years before Jesus was ever born, prophesying that the Messiah would be born in the little town of Bethlehem. Today, we've already read Luke 2. Matter of fact, Charlie Brown and his buddy Linus helped us read this a few weeks ago. But today, we're going to read it. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, and really focus on verse 10 and 11. If you found your place and want to stand with me as we honor God's word. I feel like I say this often, but what we're reading is not a fairy tale. It's history. It's true. This happened. The world changed because of what happens in Luke chapter 2. Your life has been changed by what happens in Luke chapter 2. If your life has not been changed, it can be changed by acknowledging the reality of what happens here in Luke chapter 2. Luke says, it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. This taxing was first made when Serenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, everyone to his own city. And Joseph went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth unto Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds in the fields keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David 
a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Do you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the message these shepherds heard that night. The message that a Savior had been born. God, I personally thank you that nearly 40 years ago, I responded to the message from your word that a Savior had been born. I responded to the reality that I was born a sinner, separated from you, and needed a Savior. And by your grace, through faith, I trusted in Jesus, your Son, for my salvation. God, no doubt many people in this room this morning are grateful as well that you loved us enough that you sent a Savior, that whoever places their faith and trust in him can be saved, can be changed, can be born again. God, today I pray that this is not just another Christmas service, another Christmas sermon where we sing a bunch of Christmas songs, but that it's a worship service where we honor and praise and worship the Lamb of God, your Son, that came to take away the sin of the world. And I pray if there's a person here today on this Christmas Eve who's never by faith trusted in your Son, Jesus, for their salvation, today would be the day that they would do that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Today is the hymn, Joy to the World. In verse 10, the angel brings the message to the shepherds, good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. In 1719, Isaac Watts wrote Joy to the World. Isaac Watts was an English theologian and minister who wrote a couple other famous hymns. One, Our God, Our Help in Ages Past, and another one of my favorites, which is When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. He wrote hundreds of other songs, but none has been more published than joy to the world. It is the most published Christmas hymn in North America. Although some of you already know, he didn't write it to be a Christmas song. Now some of you didn't know that and it just changed your whole Christmas, I'm sure. He didn't write this song, Joy to the World, Baby Jesus Has Come. He writes this song not about the first coming of Jesus, but about the second coming of Jesus. So, message is over. Let's go home. No. That would have been a great Christmas present, wouldn't it? No, there would not be a second coming if there wasn't a first coming. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. 
2,000 years ago, he came as God in the flesh, Emmanuel. And the reality is, and Isaac Watts knew this, one day he's going to come again. And in the same way that the angels kind of preached the message of joy to the world, one day joy will come to the world in his second coming. I want us to look at three somewhat simple truths about this, not the song joy to the world, but the word joy. First of all, I want us to look at the meaning of joy, and then we'll look at the manifestation of joy, and then the message of joy. What does it mean to have joy? If you've been in church more than a couple weeks, you've probably heard a Sunday school sermon or a Sunday school lesson about joy. I can remember, and I never, ever, ever read or talk about or preach about the word joy that I don't remember. Um, I, I should have found Brenda Berry before, but her husband, Don Berry, was my, I guess you called him primary Sunday school teacher back in those days. And I can remember him writing on the board over in the old church on the whiteboard, joy, Jesus, others, and yourself. Now that has nothing to do with this sermon, but I remember that. Although that's good, maybe you never heard that before, you put that in your notes and run with it. But what does it mean to have joy? I do believe if you truly have biblical joy, it will be about Jesus, others, and yourself. But biblical joy is important for the Christian especially to understand because the word is really, really important. It's a Greek word, kara, that means the state of rejoicing or happiness. Joy is not just happiness. Joy is the state of happiness. It's not just a Oh, I'm joyful, joyful, we adore thee. Oh, pitiful, I hate life, me. No, it is a constant state of happiness. And before we get ahead of ourselves, that doesn't mean that you walk around all the time exuberantly happy. I wish many times on Sunday morning people would walk around exuberantly happy. It would help me out. But it does mean that your soul is in a constant state of happiness. We'll look more deeply into this in a second. It's the same word as that comes from caro or a derivative of kara that means to rejoice. It is not conditional happiness. It is unconditional happiness. Yes, there are things that will make us happy conditionally. But Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians, the shortest verse in the Bible, in the Greek, is not Jesus wept. It is rejoice evermore because it's one word in the Greek. Rejoice evermore, be joyful evermore. 
He told the Philippian church, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. It's the same word, rejoice, to have joy. It is a true state of unconditional happiness. Before you get ahead of yourself, just wait. We'll cover some other issues here. That is joy defined. No matter what happens, you can have joy. No matter what happens as a believer, you not only can have joy, you do have joy. So how do we get this joy? We notice not only joy defined, but joy is delivered to us, and we see it here in Luke chapter 10. True joy was delivered on Christmas Day. I didn't say it was delivered on December 25th. It was delivered at the birth of Jesus. Of course, we know, many of us know the history of Israel and what's going on and them being under bondage, Roman um, captivity, Assyrian captivity, Babylonian captivity. When Jesus came, they were looking for deliverance. They were looking for an unconditional state of joy. Of course, when Jesus was born, it wasn't exactly what they expected. But he came to offer unconditional joy. The world can offer some happiness. The world is offering and providing a lot of people with some conditional happiness. Would you agree? If you want to be happy, temporarily, you can find it in some way, shape, or form. But it is only temporary. It is only conditional. As a matter of fact, this is a perfect day to illustrate how happiness is conditional. Tonight, or maybe you've already started, but probably this afternoon, this evening, you'll gather with your favorite friends and family. And someone will get out a guitar and you'll sing Kumbaya and Silent Night. And old Uncle Larry will get out the Bible, or I don't know. I don't know what. I can imagine what your Christmases look like. I can imagine they're all different. But there's some similarities in all of them. Everybody got a cousin. Everybody's got that uncle. Everybody's got that aunt. Everybody's got that grandma. This is the last Christmas. It's probably my last Christmas. We had one of those, didn't we? I love my grandmother, but she, she had wealths of wisdom that would just come out. And this made no sense to me. Every year it was like, I'm not putting out a tree because it's probably my last Christmas. <laughs> well, this is the year to put it out then. <laughs> That's what I always thought. Go out with a bang. If this is the last one, put the biggest tree up ever. But not only did she say that, every year she would put up a tree and it got smaller. It's like, 
It's my last, last Christmas. I'm just going to put out that little tree. But all of us will have our get-togethers, and the kids will go crazy. We've already had, um, you used to have wish lists. You used to have lists you would make, and you'd put it in the newspaper. Anybody remember those days? I've, I've got some clippings of me and what I wanted for Christmas, and why that happened, I don't know. But today you go, and your kids make an Amazon list, right? <laughs> so they've got all these lists, and, and you can't wait. They can't wait to rip open the presents and get that gift. And they're so happy. And then in two months, where is it? I don't know, I don't know. Or if you're like most people, and we're blessed in America, amen, you gotta clean out this room for last year's toys so we can get this year's toys in. It's because it's conditional happiness. It's something that satisfies us for a moment. And as we grow up, we don't change much. And adults look for conditional happiness. But joy, unconditional happiness exists. It is possible but there's only one way to receive true joy. I love what Peter says in 1 Peter 3. It's, it'll be up on the screen. It's a lot, but I want you to see it and read it. Peter said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein, because of this, this is reason to greatly rejoice. Though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, may be found into the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen and you love, and whom though you now ye see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Only by believing, trusting, by faith in Jesus Christ, can a man, can a woman, can a person receive joy unspeakable and full of glory? John wrote in 1 John, and we studied that a few months ago. He wrote his whole letter in 1 John to provide assurance of our salvation, and he goes on in 1 John 5, 1, and in 1 John 1 and 1 John 5, but 1 John 1, he says, I have written these things unto you so that your joy may be full. Your joy may be complete. How is a man or a woman's joy, unconditional happiness complete? Only one way. Knowing that you know that you know that you're born again. The assurance of your salvation. The assurance of no matter what conditionally happens around me. I am unconditionally secure in my salvation. 
and I have joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's the meaning of joy. That's the deliverance of joy when the angel spoke to the shepherds and said, I bring you good news of great joy. Joy, the potential for joy had been delivered in Jesus. But let's look at the manifestation of joy. I remember hearing this all my life in church. I remember our former pastor having a way of saying how people's faces looked. I know he always used to say, your faces look about that long. I never really knew what that meant. But when I look out Sundays, I think, that's, I, think I know what he meant. It sounds like, yeah, I can't say that, but I get the gist. And I used to hear something like this, and now I find myself saying it, and, and lest you don't know me, I'm the first one to always receive the sermon. Y'all do know that's how it happens in the life of a pastor and a preacher. Uh, now, now, some print one off the Saturday night before and come in and deliver it. I don't do that. So in preparation... I am preached to, and I have to do what I have to do and respond accordingly. So that's already happened with me. I don't think some of you knew that. <laughs> but by the time I come in on Sunday morning, I have been to the altar, I have prayed, I have repented, so I can come in and preach to you people <laughs> who need to pray. So in case anybody is in a mean spirit at Christmas and thinking, ah, he's not this way, we're in this together. The manifestation of joy. I find myself saying this, I've heard preachers say this, and I'm going to say it today. Of all people in the world, Christians should be the ones demonstrating a life of joy. Manifesting joy. I didn't say walking around whistling all the time. By the way, I don't care for the whistling personally, but I mean faking it. We can, we can find a phony quickly. I don't mean putting on your Jesus shoes when you're living like the devil. Put on a show for somebody else. I'd rather you act like the devil in front of me than put on a facade. And you would too. Don't look at every, I can kind of see some of y'all. Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. But we should be manifesting, we should be demonstrating a life of joy because we have more to not be just conditionally happy about, but to be eternally in a state of happiness about than anybody on the planet. And I know it's easy to demonstrate unhappiness, especially in this world we live in. It's real easy. You don't have to look very far to find things to be unhappy with. Spurgeon said it this way. It is an unfortunate... You got I didn't know him personally, but I think this is how he would have talked to me if, if we talked. And I'd have to say, explain that again. Say, 
Say that in English. He says, it's an unfortunate thing that Christianity gets associated with melancholy. I will not forbid the bands, for they are not very near of kin, but I wish they were further apart every day. It is a good thing for the melancholy to become a Christian. It is an unfortunate thing for the Christian to become melancholy. If there is any man in the world that has a right to have a bright, clear face and a flashing eye, it is the man whose sins are forgiven him and who is saved with God's salvation. Remember the definition of joy. Don't miss this. This is one of the best points in this whole sermon. The definition of joy, the Greek word was kara, the state of happiness. Well, kara is the root word for karagma. Karagma means a mark. It's the same exact word used in Revelation in the end times when those will be marked in their foreheads and in their hands. It's the same word. What does this mean? It means that true Christians should be marked by joy. It is a definite mark of a Christian. It is a defining characteristic of a true believer. It's who we are. It's not, um, I got a Christmas present, oh, I'm so joyful. No, you're temporarily happy. And the goodwill will be grateful in a year. But when we receive the greatest gift ever, the gift of salvation, we receive and we manifest joy. It doesn't change. The happiness comes and goes. The unhappiness comes and goes. But the joy remains because it is the state of a Christian. It is the mark of a believer. It's how it's Manifest, And I want to break this down and try not to be too theological. But we as a Christian, we live a life of sanctification. It is a process. And I believe joy can be manifest in the process of sanctification. I don't want to get too deep here. But when you got saved, if you got saved, you got saved positionally. Your life changed. Your direction changed. You were lost, now you're found. You were a sinner, and now you're a sinner saved by grace. People get love to talk about that one, but we won't get it. You were headed for hell, separated from God forever. But after salvation, positionally, you're headed for heaven, living with God forever. You are saved positionally. But then we are being saved. We are being changed. We are being progressively changed as we study, as we grow in grace and knowledge of God's word, as we pray, as we hear from God. We are becoming more like him. Positionally, progressively, past, present, but also there is a perspective sanctification. There is a future sanctification when we will be glorified, when we will be changed. And I believe joy can be manifest in these three areas of our life. When we're saved, as we're being saved, and when we are ultimately saved. 
we can demonstrate or manifest joy in our salvation in the past. Got saved. Life was changed. John chapter 15, Jesus said, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. I love John 17. It's the, what we call the high priestly prayers. Jesus praying in the garden of Gethsemane before he goes to the cross, sweat turning to drops of blood. He's praying for us and he says, and now I come to you, God, and these things I speak in the world that they, believers, might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. When we truly understand, Christian, professing Christian, when we truly understand as much as our finite, simple brains can, when we truly begin to understand what salvation really means and what being saved has really done, joy becomes an involuntary character trait. It's not in my notes, but I think about what Paul said when he talked about my next point, but that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And he goes through this litany of things that could potentially, in the world's view, separate us from God's love. And he says, but nothing, no person, no event, Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And that ought to produce joy in our hearts and in our soul. We have joy in our salvation. The psalmist said, my lips shall greatly rejoice when I sing unto thee and my soul which thou hast redeemed. The whole time I was preparing for this sermon, and even right now, in the back of my mind, and when I read Psalm 71, I'm going to read it again, my lips shall greatly rejoice. You know what that means, right? Um, do you have joy? Yeah. Um. It means you're going to demonstrate it with your lips, with your life, with your conversation. I know a lot of times we like to say, well, you know, in the Bible it says lips. It means your lifestyle. No, you don't sing with your lifestyle. You sing with your lips. Right? And he says, I will sing unto thee when my soul is greatly rejoicing when I understand that you have redeemed my soul. You can't help but demonstrate it. And in my mind, the soundtrack to my sermon has been, I've got the joy, 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 joy. 
Now, show of hands, how many of you have already had that song pop in your mind before I just did that, right? All the good Christians from back in the day, right? And you want me right now to say, where? Where? I looked up the words to that song, and I found out that back in the day, we made up verses to that song. Because they were not original. That if the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on the tack part was added by somebody along the way. It was not original. Ow. There's joy in our salvation. Knowing that we've been saved, knowing that we've been changed, we demonstrate joy. We do sing, we do manifest that we are joyful because of our salvation. So joy is manifest in our salvation, but joy is also manifest in our suffering. And this is where it kind of takes a turn, and this is where the, the old saying, easy preaching, hard living, comes in. But if joy is a continual state of a true believer, I'm going to say this carefully, the manifestation of joy is possible and is expected and can happen even in our suffering. Job told us that man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of troubles. I won't go into great detail here. I can't go into great detail for legal and confidential reasons. But I've, I've been in a few meetings in my life and this year has been, quite honestly, too many meetings. Not church meetings, but school associated. And that's changing next year because I'm not in the same position, but that's a different story. But one of the saddest, and this is, it's been quite difficult, a few meetings I've had, where we have students come in with their parents many times who have been assigned to a, a, a disciplinary action. And um, you don't have to be a family psychologist or counselor to know how they got in the position they're in. And, and this is a good time to just remind the church of God, to remind the world that God has a plan for the family, and when it is not fulfilled the way God intends, there are negative consequences. And we are raising, we as a nation are raising a generation to say it's the most difficult would be the understatement of the century. To say it's impossible would be closer, but yet seem to have little to no faith. But the last generation and a half, I'm talking about America, of marriages and the LGBTQ community, the anti-family systems and organizations of this country have wrecked a generation of children.
And when you combine that with a public education system, and they're not all the same, but when you combine that with an antichrist, or at least a no God public education system, you're putting it on steroids. And this is what America will deal with for the next 40 years. These students will be our leaders. All that said, I'm sitting at a table with a kid and his mom, and I wanted to say, do you have an hour? Can just me and you go talk? But I couldn't, and I didn't. By the way, I don't compartmentalize my Christianity, and you shouldn't either. If you're a Christian, you're a Christian wherever you're at. And so I was a Christian around that table, and I looked at that boy, teenage boy, he's in trouble for the 50th time, and he's angry. His dad died when he was eight years old. His mom remarries, and his stepdad dies within a year. She didn't remarry within a year, but within a year of being married. He's got half-brothers, half-sisters, step-brothers, step-sisters. He's mad, he's angry. Things happen out of his control. And I looked at him. I looked at his mom, who was doing the best she could. Had a plan when she came in. And I told him a few things, and I said, um, well, I'm a Christian, I'm a pastor, and I believe the Bible. And the Bible says that life is a few days and full of troubles. And the reality is we all go through bad situations that we don't have any control over. But how we respond to those situations is what makes us or what breaks us. And I said, nobody in this room or nobody in this school system, nobody in this country, not the military, can make you make a decision. You have to decide how to respond. Mom's got tears rolling down her eyes. First time in the meeting, the boy's looking me dead in the eyes, acknowledging. Somebody needed to tell him life's tough. Somebody needed to tell him there's a God that understands and has said life is a few days and full of troubles. But here's the reality. Sitting in a a good Baptist church on Sunday morning, the people in the pews need to hear life's tough. Life is hard, even for a believer. Even for Job, who loved God and was committed to God and was sold out to God, lost everything, but said, came in naked, I'm going to leave naked. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Easy preaching, hard living. But if you've got joy, 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 down in your heart, we can demonstrate that joy even in suffering, even in sorrows. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall, when you encounter 
various trials and temptations. Not if you do, but you will. We're in this together, church. And thank God for a church that when you do find yourself in a trial, you've got people that love you, care about you, and pray for you, and reach out to you. And and, unless anybody's not told you that, you need that. I need that. We need that. Paul talked about this. Paul suffered for the cause of Christ. Here's my advice. Here's my counsel. And I'm going to say this again in case you haven't heard it. This is easy preaching and hard living. And I can, right now, I could list, I could name three people, three couples, three families immediately that comes to my mind that have been through situations. Fourth one just popped in. Who have been through situations that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. And you know them too. And you know them too. And you know that friend. You know that family member. You know that coworker. I'm talking about Christians who went through difficult times that you wouldn't wish on anybody, but stood strong and were faithful. Praise God, audibly, publicly, before, during, and after. And this sinful man, I'm still sinful, right? right? I still got flesh. Who's a Christian, who's a pastor of a great Baptist church, has prayed to God. This is the honest truth. God, I want to be able to do that if something were to happen in my life. That tragic. Those people, those families, are what I consider the 21st century Hall of Faith chapter of Scripture. Those are the people who, by faith, they were able to make it through. And the Hall of Faith chapter in the book of Hebrews uh, highlights those people who went through tough times, but yet by faith made it. And we look to them. And if they can do it, we can do it. They're the ones that encourage us. I want to tell you, it's not possible if you don't have the joy of the Lord and knowing you're born again. You can't do it. You can't do it. Did I say you won't be sorrowful? Nope. Did I say there won't be tears? Nope. If you ever hear me say that, somebody come grab me while I'm saying it and pull me out. Fire me on the spot. I'm serious. No, life hurts. There's pain. There's tears. We do sorrow when we lose loved ones, but we don't sorrow as those who have no hope. We can manifest our joy in sufferings. How? I got a couple verses of scripture. Some of you might want to write it down. In Psalm 5, the psalmist said, But let all those who put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy because thou, because God, because you defend them. Let them also that love thy name be 
joyful in thee. Psalm 18, 2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. Nehemiah was struggling. His people were crying. They were mourning. And he said, don't mourn, don't weep, because the joy of the Lord is your strength. We can manifest our joy, demonstrate our joy, even in sufferings, our temporary sufferings do not affect our eternal salvation. It will happen. Life is tough. But believers can demonstrate their joy even in suffering. So joy is manifest in salvation and in suffering and then it's also manifest in the second coming of Christ. By the way, this is what Isaac wrote this about. Joy that's demonstrated in the, not just hopeful, but the return of Jesus. Now, I gotta say this, because I'm a Baptist preacher. His second coming will be joyful to believers. But not to unbelievers. that's not the first time I've ever said that. And almost every time I say it, I kind of feel something coming back. So I'm just gonna address it for the two or three people that think this or read this, because I got to. When Jesus returns the second time, there will be a group that are joyful. But there'll be a group that aren't so joyful. And the devil or some author has put it in too many people's minds, well, I'll have a chance. I'm not here to straighten up everybody's theology. But I'm telling you, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. And the gospel is being presented, and grace abounds, and there will come a day when the Holy Spirit leaves this place Yeah, there'll be some people get saved, but I'm not resting my eternity on the possibility. When I couldn't get saved or didn't get saved or didn't respond on padded pews in an air-conditioned, pretty Christmassy church, what would make me think I would say, oh, now's time, after? But Isaac Watts wrote Joy to the World in reference to the second coming of Christ. We think about sanctification. We think about this prospect that we will be saved, will be like Jesus. John said, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's, that's pretty joyful, especially when you wake up and you're almost 50 and things start hurting that you heard old people talk about before man they always complain now I always complain and some of you in here say I remember when I was 50 I was strong as an ox well good for you now look at you Peter said this but rejoice in as much as you are partakers heard that word rejoice 
Rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. I mean, people only, I mean, you're going to get something you like for Christmas. Somebody, somebody will. Out of this crowd, somebody's fortunate enough to get something they asked for. Everybody good with that? I know some of you are not going to get anything you asked for, and you're already mad about it. It's fine. <laughs> I mean, I gave hints for the last two months, and then I still got socks. <laughs> By the way, children, teenagers, in case your parents haven't told you, I'm going to help your parents out. Y'all ready? This is going to be, this is helpful. No matter what you get, you smile, and you say thank you. What if I don't like you smile and you say thank you? You don't say I've already got one. You don't say I don't like it. You don't throw the box down. You don't say close. You just say thanks, Aunt Susie. Appreciate it. God bless you. But somebody's going to get a gift that's going to make them joyful. But for a Christian, think of this gift that Peter talks about. When his glory shall be revealed, you will be glad with exceeding joy. Now stop. Christian, if you know that you know, that's us. There is coming a day when Christ returns, that will produce in us a joy that you can't imagine. That's what it says. But if you're here and that doesn't do anything for you, if you can't imagine Christ returning, producing joy, exceeding joy, you talk about happiness times a bazillion, eternally, if that doesn't get your attention in a positive way, then there's a chance you don't have joy today. Seeing him return, producing exceeding joy. You probably know this passage, but it really speaks to this. John said in Revelation 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, no more crying, neither shall there be any more pain. Church, that's not just physical pain. That's emotional pain. That's hurt. There'll be no more pain. Why? For the former things 
had passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I hope you like this one. I make all things new. All things new. And he said, Write these words, for they are true and faithful. Isaac Watts said, Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. For a believer, he reigns on our throne today. But at his second coming, he will reign. He will rule. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. Verse three, no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. Behold, I make all things new. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. New heaven, new earth, new king running this show. He makes all things new. Our joy is manifest in his return. We know the meaning of joy. We see the manifestation of joy. In church, this is it. We have a message of joy. Just like the angels spoke to the shepherds, we have a message to the world. To the world. Beginning right here in our Jerusalem, into Judea, into Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl needs to hear joy is possible. Joy has come. Life is tough. You can be hurt. You probably are hurt. But there is joy that is possible to change your life, to give you peace, to give you comfort, to give you happiness that's on the inside no matter what's happening on the outside. And the message of joy is unto you is born this day in the city of David. Not just a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. A savior. A savior. And the greatest message, the greatest need of every person we know and every person we don't know is they need a savior. Church, we have that message. It sounds so obvious, but that's what we're here for. That's what we're about. The Great Commission to go into all the world, teaching them to observe everything he said, share the good news of the gospel. Why? Because God loved the world. He loves the world. I didn't say he loves the antichrist of the world. I said, John three sixteen says, God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We have a message of joy. Would you pray with me? God, I've done my best today to preach and teach your word and the message that joy, true Happiness is available. 
I pray in this room with so many people that there are many who know and have experienced joy unspeakable and full of glory. But no doubt, in a room this size, there would be someone who's never experienced the joy that your word has taught us. The joy that's only possible with a relationship with your son, Jesus. God, while we are in a time of prayer and reflection on your word, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit, would convict their hearts. They would understand their need for salvation, that they're born into sin, born separated from you. But because of your love and your grace and your mercy, you sent your son Jesus to pay the price for our sins by dying on the cross, becoming sin for us, taking our place, and if we place our faith and trust in him, substitution for our sin, we can be born again, have our life changed, and really possess biblical joy that in spite of circumstances, we have eternal happiness, peace, that surpasses all human understanding. Before we sing, I wanna ask you this question. Do you have joy down in your heart? It's God's desire for every born again Christian to have that joy. In spite of circumstances, is it being manifest in your life? Can it be manifest in your life if you're not sure then my suggestion to you is to be in a time of prayer search your heart ask God to reveal to you am I born again am I truly born again do I do I know that I know no doubt on this Christmas Eve and the quietness of this moment there are true Christians that are struggling Emotionally, maybe mentally, maybe spiritually. Now's a good time. Then the quietness of your heart, humility of your heart, call on him. Acknowledge, God, I need your help. I need your Holy Spirit. If you want to come to an altar, you can pray here at an altar. Stay where you're at. I encourage you to be in a moment of prayer. And that's to the Christian. And here's my last request. If you're here today and you know you're not saved, you've never been born again, you've never trusted in Jesus, my prayer has been and is now that the Holy Spirit of God is convicting you. Not a message I preach, not anything I say, but the Holy Spirit of God is talking to you right now, speaking to your heart, Maybe for the first time, letting you know you're lost. You need salvation. Showing you through the word of God and through the spirit of God why you need to be saved. 
not just because you're a bad person, it's because you were born a sinner, born separated from God. And if you're here today and you're lost, the gospel is clear, the message is clear. Call on the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. Calling on him means that you believe he's the son of God, the sinless, perfect son of God that went to a cross to die for you in your place, to pay your sin debt, to pay my sin debt. Was buried and rose three days later. Was now seated at the right hand of the Father, praying for us. If you trust in him for your salvation, the Bible is clear, you'll be saved. While we sing, while we pray, I preach the word, the Holy Spirit's present. It's your turn to respond to him. Would you stand as we sing? Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church, events, and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com.